Are we good? Yep. All right, good. Uh, so I'd like for us to uh, do our scripture reading this morning out of the book of James, uh, James chapter 3. And uh, we're going to do our scripture reading uh, in James chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 13 and proceeding down uh, through verse 18. Um, so when you find James chapter 3, verse 13, if you would uh, stand with me and read along with us as we uh, all uh, read God's word together, we're going to begin again in James chapter 3, verse 13, and read through verse 18. It says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But ye have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is shown in peace of them that make peace. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to welcome you this morning. Uh, things are a little different with our pastor being away. Uh, this has been a little bit of a different year, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is the first time our pastor's been able to get away this year. Uh, we need to remember to keep them in their prayer. They'll be back uh, next Saturday, so they'll be back here with us next Sunday. Um, just uh, remember to keep them in prayer. This has been a, a difficult year in particular for uh, pastors in general, just because uh, of the, the situations of, of each Sunday not knowing from one Sunday to the next, uh, especially at the beginning of March uh, or in the middle of March when, when everything uh, closed down um, and, uh, and everything was, was, was uh, off schedule. Uh, and I you know, I know it's been hard on, on pastors uh, everywhere uh, around the world, even our, our national pastors. It's been tough on them as well. But uh, just remember to keep our pastor in prayer. Uh, it's a long time to go. I think it's been a, a year and a half since they've been able to get away. Uh, and uh, that's a long time when you're a pastor uh, of, of the things you're dealing with every day and, and still having all of the, uh, the regular church uh, things to, to take care of. And, preparing messages and, and all of that, uh, while at the same time you're taking care of your family. So you need to keep them in prayer. Uh, something else, just as a, a way of announcement, uh, January 10th of 2021 is a Sunday. And uh, it, uh, is, it marks the fifth anniversary that Pastor Rob has been our pastor. So um, remember that uh, in, in, your, in your prayers. Uh, um, it's... Uh, it was uh, that that particular Sunday was uh, was the Sunday that we voted uh, to have Rob uh, be our pastor, full, uh, our our full time pastor. He had been our associate pastor for many years, and as he has uh, uh, told us uh, that uh, 
Um, he was not expecting that, uh, but uh, at the same time, I think we're all very thankful for him as our pastor and for Jess uh, and for, for their family. So uh, we need to remember to keep them in prayer, but also be thankful. Uh, this five-year anniversary is a significant uh, um, uh, mark in our church history, in our, and uh, uh, I'm sh- I'm I would like to have us all get together on January 10th, but I don't know that we will. Uh, I think we're still probably going to be limited in numbers and things, and um, we won't be able to have maybe a, a fellowship like what, like what we'd like to have. Uh, so in lieu of that, just be thinking of, of something that you'd like to, to write uh, to them or, or um, record for them of, of just uh, uh, um, your appreciation of of them, but also uh, just an encouragement uh, to them on what the Lord has done for you over the past five years. Uh, And uh, we'll try to uh, uh, fellowship together maybe a little differently. Maybe we'll have to do something online, but um, we will uh, certainly uh, celebrate that Sunday uh, together. Um, So keep that in prayer. Uh, This morning, the, the message, although we read in James, I'm going to have you maybe stick a piece of paper there because we'll come back to that passage. But if you could uh, turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea was a prophet, and uh, you'll, you'll see in the Old Testament um, the prophets are, are all uh, towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, you find you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, after uh, that you find Ezekiel and then Daniel, and just after Daniel, uh, you'll find the book of Hosea. And uh, we're going to be looking in Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6, and we're just going to be looking at uh, the first uh, three verses. And uh, I'm just going to read those uh, first three verses this morning. In uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and in the third day will he raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning. And he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. This is the text from which we'll we'll start with uh, this morning. Uh, But before uh, we do, uh, um, I'm just going to ask Earl if you'd just uh, lift up the Lord in prayer to us. Thank you. So in the uh, book of Hosea this morning, uh, we've read these uh, three verses. A lot of this um, was a comfort to them, but it was also a prophecy uh, to them. Uh, Reading it today, we see that some of it is a prophecy that has already been fulfilled, and then some of it is a prophecy that will uh, uh, come uh, be fulfilled in in the future. 
but just to give you a little bit of history about Hosea, uh, Hosea was a, was a prophet uh, called of God to uh, proclaim the words of God to the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, at this time, uh, the, the, the northern and southern kingdoms had been split. Uh, they, they each had a king. Uh, and uh, Hosea began his ministry under uh, the king Jeroboam II. Uh, now, his ministry lasted through uh, several kings, and it, and it ended up uh, in, in with the king of, of, of uh, Hezekiah. And uh, uh, during that time uh, when he first started, the northern kingdom of Israel was doing very well. Uh, they're, they're, they, they had been uh, uh, at, at peace, and uh, it was a time of comfort for them. But uh, um, the, Hosea wasn't the only prophet of God working at this time. God had called other prophets as well, and, and uh, Isaiah and also Micah were called to be prophets in the southern kingdom, uh, so did Judah. And the northern kingdom is also referred to as Ephraim uh, in God's word. So sometimes you, all these names, you've got to keep, keep, keep track. So I, I usually write them down and keep, keep track for myself as the which is which. Um, but uh, the, uh, by the world's standards at the time and by uh, their own standards, their own personal standards, the northern kingdom of Israel was doing quite well. Uh, under Jeroboam II. As a matter of fact, Jeroboam II was considered by some to be a great king. Uh, he, was, uh, he, he ruled at a time when uh, the upper class of Israel was very affluent, they were very comfortable. Now, in Israel, the lower class never was affluent. They were never comfortable. It was always a struggle for them. But uh, the upper class in, in, in this society kind of controlled things. They were the ones that, that, that made the decisions. And uh, uh, at this time, uh, the northern kingdom, their military was very strong. And Assyria's military at the same time was very weak. So, uh, so because the northern kingdom was very strong in their army, nobody wanted to go up against them. They were all afraid of them. So, so they, had, uh, they had this very powerful military. Their nation was stable. Uh, their kings, uh, the transition from, from Jeroboam II's father to him uh, was, a, was a peaceful transition. It was one where Jeroboam had learned under his father, actually had kind of worked with him for many years before his father passed away. So he knew uh, the situation when he came in. And it was a very stable situation. Their economy was strong, particularly for those uh, who, were, who were of wealth. They, they had, because of their military might, they also had the ability uh, to trade and to have business, and, and things uh, were, were very good. And the mood generally, particularly for the upper class, was a mood of, uh, of confidence. Uh, they, they, their future looked bright. Uh, they were self-sufficient, they were uh, uh, dominant in their, in their region, so uh, the, the idea that judgment was going to come to them was very remote uh, from their mind. Uh, it wasn't something that they uh, thought of a lot. But the problem was, was that they were spiritually corrupt. Right? The, the, the spirits that they had, uh, because of all of the blessings of God, they had forgotten God. Seems kind of backwards, but it was true. They had become reliant on themselves. They had become reliant on their king. 
They had become reliant on their ability to make good decisions. They, instead of seeking God's will for what they should do, they relied on the, the counsel of the men. And the decisions that they made were based on economics, were based on uh, uh, power, were based on all of these, these, these things. And the reasons why they did those things were all based on that. And they, as a matter of fact, they, they didn't even go and, and ask God what his opinion was. They had false prophets at that time that they listened to. And it's a sad thing, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, parallels between the northern tribe of kingdom, uh, northern uh, tribe of, of Israel at this time, and, and our country, and our world today. Uh, but God w- was sending these prophets to them to explain to them and to, to give them the truth of what was taking place in their hearts. See, they were taking the blessings of God. They were gladly receiving those, but they were using them for their own gain. They were using them uh, actually against God because it, it was a slippery slope. It wasn't something that started just in one or two days, but it was over the progression of years. Uh, they began to uh, take in the counsel of other countries. And because it became very political for them, they also took in their religions. They took in their idols. They, they, were, they were taking the blessings of God and actually using them against God. And they were using them for their own power, their own decisions, and their own gain. And Hosea was one of the prophets that was sent to remind them of their unfaithfulness to God and to present to them the view of Israel, not from their view, but from God's view. And it was very, very different. God reminded them uh, of the judgment uh, that, that, that was uh, deserving to them. And he also reminded them that it wasn't the verdict of themselves that was important. It was the verdict of God that, that was important. And that God had the final say. He was uh, the judge that looked on not on what they did, but on their hearts and the, uh, and, the, and the motive for what they did. See, the times were soon going to be changing when, when Isaiah began his prophecy. Pretty soon after Jeroboam II passed away, Israel was going to go through a very turbulent time. And over the course of the next 30 years, they were going to end up with more than six kings uh, going through uh, succession. And for those that you read through uh, first and second kings, you do see the progression of those kings going, rising and falling. And many of them did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they led Israel further away. Here we find the plea of Hosea, but it's also the plea of God there in verse 1. He says, come, let us return unto the Lord. And notice in these next two statements, they're couplets. They're couplets of God's judgment and God's mercy. He says, come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us. The word of God presents the truth of God in that he is a very just God. And it provides, especially in the Old Testament, what that judgment, what that justice requires. 
right? The Bible also presents God and shows God's mercy. And that's what this verse here is showing, is that he has torn and he's going to heal us, right? He does both of those things. And it's important for us to understand both sides of, uh, of that when we read God's word, that it is full of his judgments, but it's also full of his mercy. But the same stipulation that was put on the people of Israel put on us. We need to come to the Lord in order to receive that mercy and that blessing uh, that he has for us. So, uh, but we can see that we need to also use God's word correctly when we deal with people. Because it's a sword, we're told. It's a two-edged sword, and it cuts both ways. It, it cuts in judgment, but it also cuts in mercy. It, all, it also heals. Now, uh, for those of you who remember, I remember uh, Pastor Boyle for many years, uh, pastor down in, in Portland at Grace Baptist Church, he would remind the preachers, I remember him standing here uh, uh, before the preachers many, many times, reminding them that, look, if you're, when you're dealing with people, you have to learn how to use God's word to both provide the judgment of God, but also to provide the mercy of God. Because if you just cut people with the judgment of God, then all you're going to do is, the, is, is leave a bunch of wounded people in your path. You have to be able to show how to heal the soul with God's mercy. Once you uh, provide to them the understanding that of the judgment of God, that, that sin requires death, you then have to show them the mercy of God, that it's, he's not just the, 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 he's not just just, but that he's also the justifier of men. And as I uh, began to, to, to think about this, as I was reading in the Old Testament, looking at the, the book of Job, you see Job's uh, three, three buddies that he had that came to him. And you notice, all they talked about was the judgment of God. They never once saw God as both just and the justifier of men. And that was something that Job was clinging to. He was, he was calling to God to provide justice to him, not because he deserved it, but because of his mercy upon him. So we need to be careful when we're dealing with people that we're not just like Job's friend, always providing the judgment, but that we also need to provide them the mercy and show them the mercy of God as well. The promises of God include both judgment and provision for those who come to him. So what do these promises of God in the Old Testament to Israel have to do with us today in 2020? Well, we have to understand that God is the same God today that he was at the time of Israel, right? Look at verse 2 in this text. After two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. This is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, of Jesus who was going to come and he was going to die on the cross for their sinfulness. Now, they didn't understand all of those details, but here the prophecy is, is that Jesus was going to come and, and, and rescue them. Well, that promise is very relevant for, for us today. 
It's what we depend upon. We, we trust God because he has fulfilled his prophecy of sending his son for our salvation. All right? Jesus, the Savior, was the provision of God and the promise of God. But notice in verse 3, both the confidence we can have and the condition that he uh, gives us. Then shall we know, right? There isn't something that we're just going to think or we're going we're to hope, I hope so, that it comes true, but we're going to know this. But there's a condition there, there's an if. The very important condition. If we follow on to know the Lord. It's not just enough to know that God is just. And it's not just enough to know that God is the justifier of men, but we need to receive him as our personal Lord. We need to, uh, to follow on to know that God has provided his salvation to us as individuals. It all comes down to the individual and whether you have belief or unbelief. That's what separates men in God's sight. And he has a condition here that says, if we follow on to know the Lord. Now, once we are saved, we have been justified, then we start that process of sanctification. That process of sanctification is to continue from the moment of salvation until we get to see Jesus in heaven face to face. That's when it will be completed. Unfortunately, between now and then, we're kind of stuck with us. <laughs> and it's so important for us to continue to follow on. Because if we leave it off, if we stop reading God's word, if we stop uh, 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 seeking his counsel, if we stop basing our decisions based on what God says in his word, we're going to end up just as corrupt as Israel did. And that was the example to us. Now, you would have thought that the southern tribe of Israel would have seen the example of the northern tribe and said, wait a minute, we see what happened to them. Okay, they got taken into captivity because they turned their backs on God. You would have thought they would have said, hey, maybe we should learn something from this and, and turn to God and, and seek his counsel. But we can read in the Old Testament that they didn't. They saw the warning that was given to them. They saw the example of what happened, and they followed right along with them, right? Right into captivity. You know, sometimes we're not too bright. <laughs> and I think Jesus wasn't giving us a compliment when he referred to us as sheep, right? We need to take heed to the things, to the warnings that are here, and understand that God is a just God. He is going to do exactly what he said he is going to do. And we better follow after the part that promises us his mercy, because, boy, we don't want to be on the side that suffers his judgment. Notice what it says here in the last part of that verse 3. His going forth is prepared. It's already established. It's already set. As if it already happened. 
God's going forth is already determined. He knew exactly when the northern tribe of Israel was going to be captured and taken away. He knew exactly when the southern tribe of Israel would would do the same thing. He knew exactly when uh, they would be released out of uh, captivity and allowed to go back. As a matter of fact, he he let some of his prophets know those dates. He 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 uh, released in the, you know, reading in the book of Daniel that it was going to be seventy years. He knew that. The other prophets had also written uh, written that so that Daniel could understand that it was going to be the seventy years of captivity, and then they would be restored. Those things were already prepared even before Hosea wrote these things down. But you know what? God also knew the day he was going to send his son to earth to be born. And he knew the day that he was going to die. And he knew the day that he would be resurrected. He knew the day of his ascension. And he knows the day in which he's going to send him back as king. It's already prepared. And the reason why it's prepared is we're told in, in God's word that his word is settled in heaven. And you know what? On earth, there's nothing we can do against it. We cannot go against God's word and survive. <laughs> you can go against God's word for a while, but then there's going to come death. Every human uh, being uh, uh, is, is confronted with it, and it's, at that point, it will no longer be what we think about ourselves. It's going to be what God thinks about us. And if we don't have the righteousness of the Lord as our protection, we're going to suffer the judgment of God. These promises that we see are relevant to us. His way is prepared as the morning, just like when the morning came up this morning. We knew, uh, we know, guess what's going to happen if the Lord doesn't return tomorrow morning? The morning is going to, the sun is going to rise, and it's because it's all been established by God the Creator. And notice, then, he continues this. Because of that, he says, He shall come to us as the rain, as the latter rain, and the former rain unto the earth. He was, Israel was going to be restored, or is going to be restored, at the second coming of Christ. We can, we can write that down and know that because it's been prepared already. Let's turn, if you will, over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 11. So Romans 11, 11. And we're going to take this a little bit slow just because there's a lot in this. There's a lot of... uh, rabbit trails that we're not going to chase this morning because I don't want to get off track of, of, of what we are. We're looking in the book of Romans. We're skipping from 700 years before Christ came. And now we're after uh, uh, Jesus had come, had died on the cross, had risen uh, and is sitting on the, uh, on, the, on the throne, on the right hand of God. And now Paul... The apostle is writing these words, this text, to the Roman people who were Gentiles, not Jews. 
And he's written this to them as a Jew. Paul himself was a Jew. And he's describing a little bit of detail for us that relates back to what Hosea was talking about. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Now, he's talking about the Jews. He's talking about Israel. And he's asking the question, did Israel stumble that they should fall and never be rescued? Well, we know from the promise in Hosea that God is going to restore Israel, right? We know that the second, the latter rain hasn't come yet. So, of course, the answer has to be exactly what Paul says, God forbid, because that's not what was prepared by God. This is all based on what God has prepared, remember? So the answer is God forbid, but rather... Through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Right? The fall happened. The Jews fell uh, from it. It wasn't a surprise to God. He knew exactly that it was going to take place. And the reason why it was going to take place was so that way salvation could be offered to us as Gentiles. That was the purpose of it. But he wasn't just going to forget Israel. He's trying to provoke them out of jealousy to now follow after the Gentiles. And by faith, trust in the Lord. Because remember, it's by either believing or not believing. Those are, that's how God splits us up. It's either by faith or disbelief. That's the dividing line. It's not about what nationality you are and about who your grandfather was or, his, or what nation you were born into, but it's about belief and unbelief. And here Paul is explaining this. He says in verse 12, Now if uh, the fall of them be the riches of the world uh, and the diminishing of them the, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness... For I speak to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine offense, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them that are of my flesh, and might save some of them. Paul had a heart for the Jewish people. But God had called him to go talk to the Gentiles, to be, to be an apostle of the Gentiles. So here, he is an apostle of the Gentiles, but his heart is still, he would love to do anything to see one of the Jewish uh, 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 people by faith come to Christ. That was his desire. He says in verse uh, 15, for if uh, the casting away of them to be reconciling of the world what shall the receiving of them be but the life from the dead? The Jews needed to be brought to life. Without Christ, they are dead, just like the Gentiles. It is by faith that the Jews have to receive uh, Christ. And it's by faith that we as Gentiles have to receive Christ. There is no difference in that. In verse 16, he says, For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest 
of the root and fatness of the olive tree. We have been, as Gentiles, grafted in. We've been grafted into the vine. And now we have, as, as children of God, been, uh, as Gentiles, once we receive Jesus, we're grafted into that vine. We have access to the root. That's where all the nutrition comes from. That's where all the sustenance comes uh, to the vine. And you know what? Our sustenance is the word of God. And we need to pay attention to it or else we're going to suffer the same fate that Israel suffered. The same uh, uh, prophecy that was given to Hosea was, you know, you, you've, you've left off doing what you should have done. You've, you've gone, uh, now you're trusting in yourselves when you should have been seeking after the counsel of God. You've taken the blessings of God and used them as a curse against you. And we've done the same thing. Go on, verse 18. He says, boast not against the branches. He says, don't get into a, into a, into a fight over who is the branch, who was grafted in, who was, who's Jew and who's Gentile. He says, don't, don't boast about those things because that's what the Jews were very, the, the, particularly the, the, the Pharisees were very good at. They were boasting about who their lineage was. And Paul here, as a Jew, as a Pharisee, says, don't boast about those things, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. That was why, Israel was broken off. That's why the Jews were broken off. It had nothing to do with anything more than their unbelief. That's what broke them off. And you know what? That's the same thing that happens to people today. If they, in their unbelief, remain in their unbelief, they too will be broken off. And it's important then that we allow God's word, we, we follow after God's word, it provides us the faith, because faith cometh by God's word, to receive him as our savior so that way we will receive the benefits of being grafted in. Verse 21 says, For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. That's a, that's a very important warning for us. That's an important warning. You remember, Hosea was speaking to the nation of Israel. And the nation was dependent upon their position that they had, they felt secure in. But it wasn't about that. The only ones that were going to be protected was that remnant that had faith in the Lord God. It's the same thing today. It doesn't make any difference what, our, what we believe. It's going to be, where is our faith? There's a lot of false information in our world today. And it just keeps on happening faster and faster and more and more. And so more and more, the truth matters. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father 
but by me. So we can, that's the truth that we then need to establish our faith upon. Not what, not what our nation is telling us, not what uh, false prophets are telling us, but what God's word is telling us. And if, he, if God spared not the natural branches of his people, guess what? He's not going to spare us if we're not grafted in. He says in verse 22, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. There is that couplet again. We saw that in Hosea, in that first verse where there was the couplet of both God's goodness, his, his, his blessing, and his judgment. Only in this verse, it's kind of reversed. Right? But here, we see in verse 22, it says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Behold God as the merciful one, but also behold God as the judge, the severe one. We need to, when we worship God, we need to understand that God is both. He is both the just and the justifier. And we have to become justified through him, through faith in him. And if we don't, we're going to suffer the severity of God. He says, On them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. Now notice that condition. There's another if. And the if that is here is exactly like the if that was in Amos. It says, If thou continue in the goodness. Right? Our, our if that we had back in uh, uh, Hosea was if we follow on to know the Lord. Here the if is if uh, it says if thou continue in his goodness. We need to follow on in the goodness of God. Once we are saved, it isn't the end. It's really just the beginning. Because then there are requirements upon us to make sure that we follow on in the goodness of God. A lot of the uh, Old Testament uh, Pharisees and Jews, when they realized they had it over someone else, man, they boasted themselves up. But Jesus, when he came, he set the record straight. He says it's not about being proud of who you are or what nation you're from. It's about being humble and humbling yourselves enough to serve your Lord. And, and whenever Jesus was teaching, when somebody came up to them, if they came up to him in pride, what did he do? He gave them the law. And they were stopped dead in their tracks. They couldn't get past it because they weren't good enough to be considered acceptable by the law. And you know what? None of us are. But when Jesus had someone come up to him who was humble, what did he give them? He gave them mercy. He gave them grace. He gave them healing. He gave them uh, uh, an understanding. And, and, and so it's the same way with us. We need to come before the Lord, not, not boasting and not proud, but humble. 
And we must continue in his goodness. What does it say? Otherwise thou shalt be cut off. Now that doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation. What it means is, if we don't continue in our sanctification, we're going to be cut off and we're going to become just like the rest of the world. Our minds are no longer going to be focused on God's word, but our minds are going to be focused on whatever's on CNN. Right? Uh, our minds are no longer going to be focused on seeking after what God's will is. Our minds are going to be looking at our bank account and all of our decisions are going to be made based on that. As a country, our minds are not going to be drawn towards the word of God. Our minds are going to be drawn on our power and our might and our, our abilities to, to do things. And our, 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 uh, our decisions are going to be cut off from God who gave us the blessings. It isn't that we're going to lose our salvation, but we are going to lose our confidence. And God reminds us, don't give up your confidence in the Lord. And when we turn our thinking over to, to the things of this world, where, what happens? We become worried, we become panicked, and our confidence is gone like that. And it isn't confidence in ourselves, it's confidence in the Lord God. In verse 23 says, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. There's still hope for the Jews. Their hope has to be in the Lord. Their hope has to be in faith in the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, they will be cut off individually. See, it's about an individual and what they believe, not in what their country does. It all comes down to the individual. We must all come to the Lord in the same way. I want us to turn one last scripture over to where we read this morning together before we started over in the book of James. James chapter 3. In this continuing in the goodness of God. That's our continued walk, our continued, not, not to get saved, but once we are saved, we are to continue in the goodness of God. And that's what this wisdom is speaking of here in James chapter 3. It says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out a good conversation, his works with meekness, and wisdom. That isn't, God, that, isn't, that isn't human wisdom. It's godly wisdom. We're to show forth our wisdom and we're to show forth our good conversation as a way to continue in the goodness of God. Because let me tell you something. People notice when everything around them is panicking and everybody else is worrying about things, they notice us who are settled. And they wonder, what in the world's up with you? Why aren't you panicked all about this? And that's when you have the opportunity with, to explain that, look, my, my faith is not in a vaccine. <laughs> my faith is in the Lord Jesus. That no matter what the situation is, I know that his will is to be done, and I am going to do his will. 
Verse 14 says, But, there's always a condition again, if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. That's the test. What's in our heart? If there's bitterness there, if there's envy that's there, get that taken care of first. He says, because this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. From where envying and strife, there is confusion. And boy, it explains the United States of America today, doesn't it? There is confusion. It's because our wisdom doesn't come from above. But our wisdom comes from within ourselves. And notice where there is confusion in verse 16. And every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. It's truth. It's first pure. Then peaceable. Gentle. And easy to be entreated. Full of mercy. And good fruits without partiality. And without hypocrisy. I don't think I saw that as a slogan in this last election, do you? <laughs> it's first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Because we are a child of God, we are to act differently. We're not to act like the rest of the world. We're to have meekness. In Philippians 4, we're reminded that we're to let our moderation be known to all men. Not our opinion. Our moderation means we're to be soft and we're to be gentle, similar to what this is speaking here. This is exactly what Jesus was, was, was teaching when he was speaking of the Beatitudes in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in Matthew chapter 5. We're not to be easily provoked or irritated. When, when the Bible gives examples of, of men who are meek, it reminds us that Moses was a man of meekness. We see that in, uh, in Numbers chapter 12. Jesus told us to follow after him because he is a person of meekness. In Matthew chapter 11. Those are to be our examples. Those are going to be, those are be the ones that we are uh, to follow after. But let me ask you a question. Do men know your moderation? Or do they just know your opinion? Do they know your meekness? Or do they know your stubbornness? When I, uh, when I looked at those questions, I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> because we all, every one of us, needs to come humbly before our God and to seek after his will. So that way we can make sure that we stay right according to his word and we follow after him so that way men will know 
our moderation. They will know our meekness. And through that, then, we can share with them not our opinion, but the Lord Jesus. Hosea reminds us that we shall know with confidence if we follow on. That's our responsibility. Don't let Satan rob you of your confidence in him. His promises are sure. His promises are prepared. Prepared as the morning. We also know that if we draw close to him, he'll draw close to us. We know that, he should, that, that if we come to him, remember uh, uh, Hosea's plea was that we come, we return unto the Lord. And that's the same call that we have even today. The promises of God are certain. And he is calling us to follow on, to know him. For salvation, yes. But to follow on, to know him as our Savior and Lord as well. We invite you to come and return unto the Lord this morning, reminding ourselves that he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten. He will bind us up. You're a great God. Donnie, would you close us in prayer?